No, no, they're Canadian. It's like British light. Welcome back to another episode of Exposing Ourselves. I'm Travis Ritchie, and this is episode 29. This is my golden episode. 29th is my birthday, whatever. This is the show where we expose each other to new things. Matt, a big music fan, will assign me one of his favorite albums or playlists to listen to each week. And I, a movie buff, will give him one of my favorite films. And we come together on this podcast to discuss it all. And with me, as always, is my good friend... Matt Runquist. Hey, Travis. I watched Legend this week, and you listened to The New Pornographers, and I am super excited to talk about them both. Yeah, me too. I, I will say also, listening to uh, our podcast over as it comes on to, uh, for me, Apple Podcasts, I do sometimes get a little down on myself for my enunciation uh, in that in the intro, oh. and I have to say, just then, I did a really good job. You rolled right through it. You rolled right through it. And I'm excited that it's your golden episode. And you know what? Next (laughs) week is going to be my golden episode because I'm born on the 30th. Nice. And it's also going to be our very special episode. So we have all sorts of things to look forward to. Super exciting. I hope there's cake. Oh, well... Well, yeah, let's look back. How was your uh, How was your week? My week was really good. Big thing this week was uh, yesterday. Got to go to the Ren Fair, which was <gasps> always a pleasure. We have a pretty big Ren Fair here in, uh, well, it's in the Milwaukee area. It's about an hour south of town, which means it's also about an hour outside of Chicago. So this is the mm. Bristol Renaissance Fair, but it gets a significant uh, population from from Chicago and Milwaukee so yeah I'll bet I'll bet did you dress up oh I always dress up I love we love the Ren Fair it's kind of funny because I don't know if you know this but my wife performed at a Ren Fair out in Pennsylvania for a couple years she was a cast member uh, did singing and comedy uh, for a couple of years so she when we met had a little bit of, you know, sort of mixed feelings about going back to the Ren Faire, uh, because while she really loved it, you know, it's it's complicated. Uh, yeah. You know, you have memories of a different time in your life, and it's different, right? It. You know, dating other cast members and so forth. I'm I'm sure that was that was it. But um, but we about three years ago decided to go back to the Ren Fair and she got super into it and I got super into it. She, we went to Goodwill and put costumes together. And then, uh, you know, we've sort of been gradually accumulating different items. So I have probably three or four different costumes that I can wear depending on how I'm feeling. Uh, what I went as this time is sort of like a general, like nobleman. I had a, a jacket and some uh, a blouse that I actually made for myself. I learned how to sew and uh, wow. sewed for myself, and uh, you know, a dagger at my hip and sort of a, a well, hail fellow, well met sort of dude. But I've got like a, a wild man that has like a skull mask. I've got all kinds of really fun stuff that I don't get to pull out very often. But uh, I really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. We walk around. We watch the shows. We get people to look at us. Uh, it's it's really fun. And then the other thing about it cool. this year is that, uh, you know, w- my wife is six weeks out from her surgery now and she's feeling quite a bit better. And so it was really nice for her to be able to get out and walk around for the day and uh, return to normalcy a little bit. Yeah, like a good little celebration. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's I, and I didn't know you sewed. I, uh, you should sew me a blouse for my birthday because uh, <laughs> when I'm <laughs> last year, I went to the Renaissance Fair for the first time, and uh, it was Time Traveler Day, so I dressed up like the inspector. Sure. And uh, and I went and I bought myself a skirt, um, mm-hmm. but I need a top to go with it. Oh yeah, I so you're looking for like a peasant uh, blouse or something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, exactly. I will tell you that I have a I have a shirt uh, for one of my sort of fancy man outfits that is actually a beach cover-up from the ladies' section at Goodwill. I'm here to tell you, man, the ladies' section at Goodwill is fantastic for mid-1700s men's clothing. <laughs> All right, good to know. And, I, and, and since it's a skirt anyway, and like it's a straight-up skirt, so uh, maybe a, a woman's blouse isn't uh, that bad of an idea anyway. Yeah. Uh, to go with it. Well, that's great, man. I'm glad you had a fun week. Yeah. Uh, it's been hot here in LA, so uh, we have had the air conditioner on 24-7, and I have been trying to find the times to take Coco out for walks, mm-hmm. and uh, usually 
uh, I did a wisdom tree hike last week in the morning, but we were it was we it was getting pretty hot by the time we were done. Last night I took her to Runyon Canyon at night, mm-hmm. like not night night, but like six o'clock, two hours before sunset, uh, and it was wonderful. Oh, nice. It was so good. We finished. After it was getting dark as we were finishing, uh, but it was she she did so well and she was very well behaved. Um, our audience can't see it, but I did. Uh, Matt, uh, you mentioned a scratch on my eye, mm-hmm. uh, right under my eye. Coco and I were wrestling, and she went up for a very excited little like paw like thing and accidentally sw- swiped down my face with her Yikes. with her claw, and it uh, it was a it was a near miss, yeah. my friend. Yeah. So, but uh, but it was fine. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I hiked, uh, not hiked. I marched at Warner Brothers this week mm-hmm. for the uh, for the uh, for the strike. And next week, I'll probably go back to Disney. And um, I, I did a little work on my book, but I need to do a lot more work on it. Mm-hmm. I'm way behind. So um, mm-hmm. uh, my yeah, deadline is coming up on the fourth. So. <laughs> yeah, but otherwise, um, yeah, pretty chill. Lots of lots of classes at the Collaborative, which is that acting group I'm part of, and we just started. Oh, this is interesting. We had our first rehearsal for the staged reading we're doing. Uh-huh. Uh, we're doing a play called Incendiary, which is a kind of a a film noir comedy, uh, okay. and uh, we had our first rehearsal last night or yesterday during the day and honestly i hadn't been feeling too hot about the play but after the rehearsal i'm really into it uh just this group of people is so funny and sometimes uh, you know the the actors make the words leap off the page sometimes you know i know Mm -hmm. when i used to read plays in theater 1101 at the university of minnesota i was oftentimes kind of iffy on them and then we would go to the performances and they would be absolutely fantastic so i definitely understand that feeling of wow this play is kind of boring oh no it's not boring at all oh wow this is fantastic so yeah, actors, uh, I mean, good actors can make uh, mediocre material seem very interesting. So uh, that's hopefully what I do sometimes. But, oh, well, anyway, yeah, you want to get into the meat? Let's get into the meat. Let's switch it up this week and talk about <gasps> the movie first. Oh, interesting. You know, I, I, I did go back and I was listening to one of our early episodes and uh, you know how I'm, I've been kind of insisting on Shake It Up? Yeah. And, uh, but you're right. For a while, it was just sh- uh, Mix It Up or what did, what did you I, say? Sh- shake, uh, switch It Up, Shake It Up, it Mix up, it, up. it Up. I got to admit, Travis, I'm not, uh, maybe... You don't care. Maybe I'm not good at catchphrases. Maybe I could never be on an 80s sitcom because I don't have a good catchphrase. Oh, Matt, sure you do. I mean, we can we can we can we can fix that. Um anyway, so movie first, man. I assigned you one of my uh childhood loves uh a film called Legend, which is not a very well-known movie to be honest. I did a little poll of friends recently uh and said, "Hey, do you know the movie Legend?" And these are people that are kind of our age and uh you know, of this time and uh, generally nobody had heard of this movie and uh, I feel like they should have it was directed by Ridley Scott and it stars Tom Cruise and Mia Sarah and Tim Curry as the Prince of Darkness and it is memorable for so many things uh, Tim Curry's performance probably first and foremost among them but it's also interesting because Tom Cruise often gets flack for always being Tom Cruise in a movie. And here, he is definitely not. Like, he's young. He's, you know, probably, I don't know, 20 or so when he did this. Uh, but he definitely wasn't the stereotypical Tom Cruise. So if you're looking for something that is uh, a little different from him, this is it. And it is a fairy tale. It is a it is a unabashed fairy tale it's it's uh, a princess falls in love with a forest boy and accidentally unleashes the power of darkness and has to go and they have to go fight darkness in order to save the world and it's uh, it's such a uh it's such a fairy tale and so um the other big thing about it is that uh that's kind of well known is that originally jerry goldsmith did the music for this movie and Jerry Goldsmith has done is known for a lot of impressive things including Star Trek he did the theme song that you love from Star Trek the next generation uh and 
He was replaced by the studio by Tangerine Dream, which was an 80s band uh, that did a lot of... Synthesizer, synthesizer, yeah, music for this for this movie, and um, yeah, I I, the the things that I like about this movie are the that it goes it just goes all in on style. It is very very big on art design and uh, set design, and like there's always something to look at in every frame of this movie. And also, Tim Curry's performance as Darkness is never to be topped, uh, uh, in my opinion. So those things are worth looking at. There are things that I didn't like, but uh, I'll get into those after I hear your take. What do you think? <laughs> what did I think? Um, I will say that I think that I understand why you like this movie and why you liked it as a kid. I will say that it is sort of a tier below the like classic 80s fantasies movies, which for me are The Princess Bride and NeverEnding Story, right? Mm. Like those are, you know, if you talk— I throw Labyrinth in there too. Sure, lab- yeah. absolutely Labyrinth. So Labyrinth I would also throw in there, but it wasn't one of my movies when I was a kid. Like uh, I-, I came to Labyrinth later. Um, so, but yeah, exactly. I would just say it's like, it's very, it's very good. You're right. It's very lush. Uh, there's a lot going on, but it's a pretty, you know, pretty straightforward, good versus evil type of story in a very explicit way. Light versus darkness, uh, fairy tale. And, but it's just not, I feel like it just doesn't spark that extra little thing that those other movies do. Um, so why, right? Why? I can't mm-hmm. believe that Ridley Scott directed this movie, right? Now, he's mm. a director who who kind of does g- genre hop and do a lot of different things. I mean, it's always sort of yeah. fantastical and big, right? But they, you know, pirate movies and aliens and uh, like lots of gladiator, gladiator and Martian. Yeah, lots of, lots and lots of different things. But this movie, you know, this is six years after Alien, which is just a masterpiece of like, yeah, set design and character design and tight plotting and tension. And it just kind of falls down, you know, a little bit. Mm -hmm. I, my wife. Well, he also did uh, running, uh, not running man. um, Blade Blade Runner. uh, Blade Runner. Yeah. Yeah. Between them. Yeah, exactly. Um, my wife was telling me that she looked it up and there were like 20 script script rewrites script rewrites uh for this movie and i got to say i i feel like they never did quite find the key right that there yeah. there's something about this script that it wants to be very like big and fairy tale and it never just quite gels the way it should but Here's what I love about the movie. You're absolutely right that it's beautiful. The character design is out of this world. The costuming the and the the special effects makeup are so good in this movie. Yeah. Darkness, his iconic look with the giant horns that he apparently needed to be like he needed to have support straps on the back of the costume to keep him from like falling over forward with this oh, giant sure, sure. giant foam and rubber head on uh, unbelievable right and i it, but like it's a payoff right like sometimes people go through really elaborate uh makeup and you're like i don't why right like it's not that great this is great it's great it's really mm-hmm. really cool and he's like he's a little bit of a bull and that's really cool. And that, like, that affects the way that he moves. It's not just yeah. a, it's not just a, uh, an affectation. Um, yeah. So I, I really dug that. I, you say that the performance of Tim Curry is iconic, and I gotta say, it's frustrating for me because I know that it's an iconic performance from him. Like this performance is memed right when they talk about the versatility of tim curry and it'll be like his character from clue and rocky uh not rocky dr um, frankenfurter and yep. and then the pennywise pennywise and then they'll have this right um yep. and all of those other characters are better than this 
I will. <laughs> from my point fair, of view. Fair, fair. From but my this point is, of view. Uh, again, I think this that this performance suffers from the in some somewhat by the writing. Yeah, I think it suffers by the writing. Very, it's very simplistic. It's very uh, uh, shallow. I yeah. want to say um, there's not a whole lot of depth to the writing, and um, and it does feel it's it's weird. It feels like, and the producer is someone by the name of Arnon Milchen. And it was written by a guy named William Hortzberg, H-J-O-R-T-S-B-E-R-G. And I feel like it's a movie that was made by someone who had a lot of money and wanted and had this idea for an epic fantasy, you know, adventure film. And then just hired, was able to afford to hire expensive people like Ridley Scott and Tom Cruise to do it. You know, I said something to my wife today. I said this, it felt like an idea without a story. Right. Mm. Like the idea was, hey, we're going to make this big fantasy movie. We're going to throw a bunch of money at it. We're going to hire these really like, you know, money people. And and the idea was like good versus evil. Go on a journey. Become a legend. Right. Right. But they they never quite put the Legos together into a into a really coherent story, you know. And and I could like, you know, me, I could nitpick various plot points like why 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 are the unicorns the guardians of the light that seems like a really bad bad system like we got to make sure these oh, unicorns well you got to make sure these unicorns don't die or the world is plunged into darkness forever that seems like a bad setup you know that seems well especially okay. because the uh, unicorns seem relatively defenseless right relatively <laughs> easy to easy yeah. to take down yeah they sure seem, you know yeah. the, the goblin sneaks up on them uh, but they're protected. They're protected until they're touched by a human, right? Right, uh, a mortal. Yeah. They do say that. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, and I and I, I don't want to. I want to say more good things though before we start picking it apart. Uh, uh, and in particular, being a film that is a hundred percent practical effects and visuals, there's no CGI in here, and it's kind of incredible what they do with all that like i i i am just um i was watching it going wow it's it's kind of amazing the sets that had to be built for this the costuming the like like you said the makeup effects uh and it all had to be practical um with a couple of exceptions you know there's a there's a fairy that flies around and it's it's clearly a (laughs) a drawn-in effect but um but yeah, no, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll give you one other thing that I really liked. Uh, I'm not going to nitpick this one, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about the big things that I didn't like. But I will talk about one thing that I really liked, which is when I saw this movie in the video store growing up uh, and when I've seen like descriptions of it, I thought it was going to be like this big epic story about this guy, right? But it's not at all about this guy. It's an ensemble. Which guy? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Oh yeah. Jack, yeah. The, sure. The the forest boy. Um, yeah. You know, but it's not at all about him. He's one of the mm-hmm. characters, but he is a member of an ensemble of characters who all play really important roles in getting to darkness, defeating darkness, doing the thing. Right. Like it's yeah. it's funny because they sort of explicitly in the movie are like and. And becomes a legend, but he's not any more of a legend than the than the guy who climbed to the top and aimed the, to- right. the top mirror, or the or the exactly, fairy yeah. that flew. You know, like every one of this like motley band of weirdos is important, and I really liked that about this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in, it is interesting, uh, and inter- you're referring to the opening scroll. Uh, that has that thing oh, about you that know exhausting that a opening scroll. Oh my god! It's too long and doesn't exist in the director's cut. Incidentally, ah okay. Um, but uh, and it's completely yeah. unnecessary. You just don't need it. It info dumps the first half hour of the movie. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so uh, it's it it seems to have been one of those studio things that was put in to probably address like I don't know confusion amongst uh, viewers. I guarantee you, somebody said Star Wars has a scroll. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, or you know, uh, Highlander, one of our first movies on this sh- on this show, had an <laughs> opening true. scroll. Uh, yeah. But it also had a voiceover. You know, you had Sean Connery reading that bad boy. But um, <laughs> there were some other interesting things I liked about this. I was really 
uh, I, I didn't love Mia Sarah's performance. I thought her as this princess character, which, again, you they never call her a princess in this cut, but in the director's cut, they, they go straight out, and she's a princess, right? She's a hmm. princess that falls in love with the forest boy. And, uh, and they talk about castles and stuff like that. Um, another thing that they do for her in the director's cut is they edit it in a way that makes her seem like less of a B-word, you know, because she's kind of just... <laughs> She's kind of just mean to that that poor family. Like she 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 does she plays little trank pranks and the way she says things like uh like I don't have time to be here like stuff like that is like like you're being kind of a a biatch right now. Yeah. Stop it. Like yeah. um but in the director's cut they they recut it in a way that makes it and they include some dialogue that makes her way more sympathetic and by 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 extension way more innocent. Yeah, which is kind of the whole point. She's supposed to be pure of heart and innocent. Um, but I, uh, that's not even what I was going to say. The, the performance that I was most impressed by is uh, the guy who played the forest elf uh, Gump, Hon- Honeythorn yes. Gump, his name yeah. was. And uh, played by a guy by the name of David Bennett, who I guess is a um, uh, maybe a German actor. Uh, I only saw, I, I looked him up and only saw one other thing that he'd been in. Wow. But, um, I think he was like 18 when he did this, 18, Mm -hmm. but looks younger. Looks like he's a a 14-year-old playing this role. And, um, but his expressions, his, like, I know I wasn't that good of an actor when I was 18, right? I've seen stuff that I've done Mm -hmm. back in college and uh, I was okay, but I'm, I'm maybe now a good enough actor to do, you know, to Mm -hmm. bring that kind of depth to a role. But for someone his age to have done it, um, in such a kind of a fantasy, like out there role, I thought was very impressive on this uh, on this take. Looking through it this time, okay, cool. So, um, yeah, okay. But well, I, don't know. I, know, I don't know. I'm gonna okay. So I'm gonna get into the things that I didn't like and the reason that this yes. is not top tier for me. One, uh, you mentioned the sets earlier. Like the sets are very very extensive uh but Mm -hmm. this movie really really suffers from not having had any location shooting it was interesting coming from lady hawk which really relies heavily on the you know the italian countryside uh i don't know where they're Mm -hmm. supposed to be but it was shot in the italian countryside uh as almost a character in the movie and this is very, very impressive, but it's always obvious that it's a set. Their motion, their movement around the stage is very limited. The camera movements are very limited. Everything feels very close in, right? And Yeah, okay. And, I, you know, because it's such an epic story and, you know, you never get a real sense of, like, where the different sets are in relation to one another, right? There's like this dark place where darkness is and they go up to where the unicorns are and there's the forest and and it's all sort of hazy about the areas in between because they don't exist, right? The, sure. You know, um, and, and I just think the movie really suffers from that. If you think about Princess Bride, right? Like, yeah, there are some clunky edits in that movie where, you know... Uh, we're on a set and then we're out on top of cliffs and then we're on a set again and that sort of thing. But there's a lot of it that is shot on location. There's, you know, beautiful horse sequences and there's, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. actual castles. And it just like that gives it a sense of scale and a sense of place that this movie just unfortunately doesn't have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I definitely see that. That's a, uh, as you say, that's a fair read. Uh, (laughs) I, I can see that. Yeah, they, I, I definitely see why they did that, though. When you're cr- when you're trying to create a, an entirely new world, um, and you have to, you want to be able to control everything. Mm-hmm. And, and like, there's something in this movie where they do something which I've never really seen before or since, really. And it's that there's always something in the air. Mm. There's always something f- flying through the air, giving motion. To mm-hmm. the to the frame, whether it's um, whether it's pollen or uh, flower petals or bubbles or smoke or mm-hmm. something, uh, and uh, I think you can't probably do that unless you have complete control over the location over the set. You couldn't do that if it was an outdoor set. Yeah, and I don't know if 
you know, I don't know if that's why. I don't know if maybe it's less expensive probably to film. Well, in but a don't you, but don't you almost feel like that's one of those things that well, this is a tell, right? It makes me realize, yes. hey, this is in indoors. No, you know? you're absolutely right, and uh, and I will say uh, that for me, I recognized this feeling from when I watched as a child, and it's that it doesn't really get going. I, my engagement with the movie doesn't really start until halfway through. Yes, uh, I said this to Amy when it was over. I was like, the second half of that movie was so much better than the first half. And I think I pegged it. It's for me, it's the dark characters mm-hmm. that grab me. I don't particularly care so much about the good guys, except for Gump, maybe. But um, it's when it's when darkness is on screen. It's when even the other goblins are on screen. They're more interesting to me than any of the uh, you know good characters. You know, so, for me, honestly, it was just that the pace picked up. Right, the f- mm-hmm. like I said, there's a huge info dump at the beginning of the movie, and it consequently makes the first half of the movie a little expositiony. You know, and and frankly, there there is a little bit of the first half of the movie that's kind of like uninteresting, right? Just like sort mm-hmm. of, yeah, yeah. There, it's not a particularly believable love story between Mia Sarah right. and Tom Cruise. There's not a whole lot of uh, sparks flying between them. Chemistry is the word I was looking for. Uh, there's yeah. not a whole lot of chemistry between them. There, she, you, as you're absolutely right. She's not a terribly believable or likable character he is so he doesn't seem like tom cruise but he is kind of a cipher for a huge portion of this movie where you can kind of project whatever you want onto him you know he's just kind of like you called him last week when you introduced this movie to me you called him a forest boy and that's yeah that's it like is there more detail? No, no. He's a forest no, boy. No, he's just got his uh, his potato sack on, and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's a forest boy. Um, yeah. So the, they lo- love each other because they're both pretty. I just that's all we need. Yeah, to know. exactly. But that's but here's the other here's the thing about that though, and this is why I go back to the idea of it being a fairy tale. Is that when you read a fairy tale, you don't get any other information than the princess falls in love with the forest boy and the darkness is the guy, you know, the Mm -hmm. Prince of darkness they're fighting against. And, uh, they, they they didn't try to give them any more depth than what they would get in a written fairy tale. Yeah. I mean, that's true, except we've done lots and lots of great movies that take fairy tales as their base and flesh out the characters and give us, you know, we get ever after we get, um, you know, ten things. Well, ten things I hate about you is Shakespeare. Uh, but uh, there, there's a right, bunch right. of movies that are based on uh, fairy tales nominally, but really, you know, explore the world more. And yeah, you, you know, I, I just, I like, I keep going back to the idea that this is, this is an idea that never got a story. <laughs> mm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I, I feel that, or at least it's the simplest of stories, and. I love the visuals. I love seeing the, the, the unicorns in slow motion and what great unicorns they are. I mean, they're just beautiful horses with horns, but yeah. they, they're they perfectly well done mm-hmm. and uh, and absolutely believable as unicorns. And um, I, I liked watching all the, all the fairies and all the goblins do their things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just there's not a whole lot of substance. What did you uh what did you think about the weird sequence where the one fairy wants to kiss uh Tom Cruise Jack? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it. Uh, I mean, it's fine. It again, it turned out not to be consequential, but yeah, yes. where uh, Una, I think. Yes, Una tries to kiss Jack or get him to kiss her and it's it's very I it's the kind of thing that you just threw into an 80s movie because you could and nowadays we're like so this is a little weird and sexual assaulty and oh odd. yes you oh, know well it's yeah it's blackmail uh yeah yeah, sure, yeah. Sure. if the if the genders were reversed it'd be a real problem yeah exactly so okay i, see I mean saying, it was yeah. supposed to just be a cutesy thing but now looking at it through sort of a modern lens i'm like this is this really doesn't read at all <laughs> Well, maybe, and, and maybe because of that, back in the 80s, it was actually more of a female empowerment uh, type thing. It might have been kind of the opposite. I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just let that one lay. 
Let's talk about real quick uh, before we move on. Uh, let's sure. talk about Tangerine Dream. What did you think of the uh, score? I thought the score the score was everything that you promised me the Lady Hawk score was going to be. Uh, yeah, this, this one this one was a real winner for me. No electric yeah. guitar, but all synthesizer. Yeah, yeah. I was I was a big fan of the score. Yeah, I don't I don't find this type of score intrusive. It's probably because I grew up in the '80s, but this is just this is what '80s movies sound like to me. You know, sure. Um, yeah, I thought it was nice because it has a theme. It actually has a fairly recognizable theme, yeah. and uh, and the singing was kind of. Uh, I even liked that. Like I found myself singing the uh, uh, the song. You know, <laughs> legends can be now and forever. That I was like, oh yeah, that kind of like it vibe. I'm vibing with it. But um, and I did go back and watch. Uh, I have the director's cut as well, and I watched about half an hour of uh, Jerry Goldsmith's uh, version. Uh-huh. I liked the movie better, but I didn't like his score okay. as much. Okay. So it just it lacked kind of feeling and and that that strong theme for me, sure. which I love in a movie. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I can um, I can get that. All right. Well, I mean, I'm I'm ready to rate it if you are, unless you got uh, any last points. I am ready to rate it. I am ready to rate All it. All right. So, like I said, this to me is is sort of a tier below uh, the best the best '80s fantasy movies. It has some pretty significant flaws. It's beautiful. Uh, really good performances from a bunch of the cast, sort of outside the main two. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Uh, but well, and Robert Picardo played Robert Megs, Picardo. The, you better you believe I spotted that. Completely unrecognizable, of course. But like, it's yeah. so weird to see him. And I, yeah. I've worked with Bob, and uh, I, I. I don't know that I've ever actually talked to him about this movie, but I definitely will next time I see him because, uh, <laughs> man, oh, man, what an interesting part. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, this is average for me. I'm going to give it a five. Okay, I'm just going to give it a six. Uh, I think that it has uh, – it, 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 it doesn't hold up for me in the same way that movies like The Dark Crystal don't hold up for me mm-hmm. from when I was a kid. But it still has some things that I really, really love. And I think it's worth watching if you haven't seen it before um, just for the experience of it and to have that, you know, kind of put it in your back pocket. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, a uh, five and a six, that's not, you know, it's not awful. A five uh, and a what, six, uh, it is not awful. What do we have for music today? What do we have for music? Well, we have Canadian pop rock supergroup, the New Pornographers, who maybe don't Canadian? have a great... Canadian, yeah. Maybe I thought they, I thought for sure they were British. No, no, they're Canadian. Huh. It's like British okay. light. Yes. Okay, well, continue. <laughs> so they uh, they were started by uh, an artist known as A.C. Newman or Carl Newman. It's never been clear to me what his family calls him, uh, A.C. or Carl or Arnold or whatever. I can't remember what the A stands for. Andrew, maybe. Uh, but anyways, started by him, and it's a bunch of... Uh, artists from the Canadian indie pop scene, Dan Bihar, who is also the brains behind a band called Destroyer, Nico Case, who is very, very popular alt-country and uh, alternative pop star, uh, is the female vocalist on the on these early albums. Uh, she's actually popular enough that there, ha- there have been one or two of the new Pornographers albums that she hasn't participated in. And she probably, when they're touring, she probably only attends about one in three of their tours because she's very busy outside of this. Um, but anyways, this is their second album. So their first album was called Mass Romantic, and it was, uh, it was a big hit. They came up uh, with this. And this one, I... Love this album so much. My daughter was about uh, about a year old or so when this was uh, on heavy rotation in my household. So I associate a lot of good, like young parent feelings with the songs on here. And this CD was in my car, and I would play it four or five, six times in a row before moving on to the next CD. So I think. As I made the joke last week that this is an album with 11 great songs. Uh, Unfortunately, there's 13 songs on it. Uh, But even the songs that are not my favorites, I still quite like. 
Uh, I don't skip them or anything like that. Uh, very, you know, sort of traditional, uh, a male vocalist, female vocalist, guitars, a little bit of keyboard, drums, pretty straightforward stuff. What'd you think? Uh, so you were a little bit nervous about assigning me this album last week, you said, and uh, I don't know why. I think that, uh, that, 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 that fear was unfounded. It's a, it's a pretty good album. And uh, it's funny because I probably would never have listened to it had I not been assigned it, uh, probably based on the excellent band name alone. <laughs> it just feels like a band that I wouldn't listen to, right? Uh, kind of, like you said, a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, alternative type rock. I don't know. But, um, but I really enjoyed it. I will say that the, the, right off the bat, the first song starts off with a beat that you cannot not dance to. Oh, good. Uh, I found my body moving immediately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, the, the, what followed was um, a badly mixed uh, <laughs> uh, lyrical track. And uh, and so I found myself that frustration that I have sometimes of listening to songs where you cannot understand the words. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I did go I listened to this twice through mm -hmm. and I did go and then looked at the lyrics and I found that found out that. Uh, it's it probably doesn't matter that I can't understand what the <laughs> lyrics are because they're nonsense. It's like you know how some Beatles songs have uh, have uh, lyrics that are like make sense like Hey Jude, but then mm -hmm. every once in a while you've got a uh, you've got a you know come together which are like completely nonsensical. Mm -hmm. This seemed like a lot of come together um, to me. You know it's funny, right? This is so I'm not the biggest lyrics hound in the world, right? Like I like a good lyric, but I'm it's not necessary for me. You and, think the lyrics are kind of uh, and the singing is kind of another instrument that goes with all the other instruments, right? Yes, absolutely. Um and uh, like lyrics can be very important. Like I'm not mad if you get like a Gordon Lightfoot or a Harry Chapin that's got really intricate stories, but they're not necessary for me to enjoy the music. And this stuff I I sing I've sung along to these songs for 23 years or whatever it is, something close to that and not really known the lyrics like not really known what the actual words maybe 80% of what you're singing is what they're singing it, probably more like 60% right but okay, i did make yes. a point of looking it up this time you know i was like looking up the lyrics and i was like oh he's definitely going to call this out because it's true i i i'm sure there are meanings to these things that they're saying but they are not they're pretty opaque yeah. Uh, so the, one of the other things that you said last week uh, in kind of introducing this to me was that uh, the songs have a lot of variety. And I will completely agree with that uh, with that and say that they there is enough. Every song is kind of different. It has a little bit of a, a different sound, a different style. I really loved about episode, uh, not episode, but about... Um, <laughs> Song number three, I think, mm -hmm. yeah. is when they introduce their female uh, vocalist. Yeah. And much like when I was listening to your album uh, from Hanko Sankole, <laughs> as soon as the female vocalist chimed in, I was like, my brain was all into that. Yeah. And I thought she sounded much better. It was much more interesting to listen to for me. And uh, I really loved it. I think there may be um, a few songs in here where they feature her, yeah. not most of them. And um, but but yeah, it was really good. There was uh, one other song that uh, end. I think it was the end of medicine. Maybe mm -hmm. ends ends in the same way that a song fades out when I get a call on <laughs> in, on my phone. Do you know how when you're listening yes. to a, a song yeah. and you get a call, it kind of fades out the song yeah. and brings up the ringer? Yeah. Exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. Like, there, it, it wasn't like a normal fade out to a song. Like, yeah, it, it takes like, a few lines, and it yeah. wasn't like a a beat that it ends on. It just kind of goes, Meh. and I'm like, <laughs> it was very weird to listen to. Uh, and both times when I listened to it, I thought I was getting a call. Yeah, uh, because it, it just didn't seem where the, it didn't seem like the right place for the song to end. But um, uh, I, I I really enjoyed it. I I, I have uh, only one other gripe, and I'm trying to think of a 
another good thing to say before I do that because I don't want the, <laughs> I don't this I don't want this to seem like a, a a bunch of gripes because it's not. I think I think when I put in my second gripe, which will join the the unintelligible lyrics. I mean, and I don't want it's not unintelligible, but I feel like I would like to hear what they were saying better. Like if the if the vocals were mixed a little higher. And it is just kind of a flip side of that coin. The drums were mixed way too high for me. Oh, okay. And what that did for me in the experience of listening to it is it made my brain kind of check out after oh, a while. Interesting. Like, it, it really got my brain a little numb okay. to the sound, where the drums, instead of being a uh, uh, like a like a floor, mm-hmm. they were the main course. Mm-hmm for me um and and i was trying to hear everything else as supporting the drums rather than the drums supporting everything else and uh, i i do wish that that uh i would be really interested to be honest if someone could mix one of these songs in a way that i like better mm-hmm. right because i think the music is fantastic i think the, uh, the 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 skill of the band is is obvious and palpable uh, I just it got a little it just got a little um, mind nummy to mm-hmm. not be able to hear the lyrics and have the drums be mixed so strongly. Okay. So um, yeah. Otherwise, uh, it's gonna get a pretty good rating from me, mm-hmm. but uh, but not great. So. Okay. Well, uh, you know, so I'll, I'll go back a little bit. So Nico mm-hmm. Case is the is the female vocalist, and I am probably going to give you one of her albums at some point. Oh, given that nice. given that you enjoyed this, I think you would really like her stuff. Uh, very emotional, uh, a little more uh, sedate. Most of it is rather than this. I've is... heard the name. I didn't realize that that was the name of the female artist. Yeah, um, and that. Uh, so anyways, this is all, this is mostly very upbeat stuff and, and the stuff that she does, uh, solo, or at least the stuff that I've heard of her solo, uh, is, is a little more, um, I would say kind of Western, you know, like mm-hmm. open spaces and, and emotions and, and things like oh, that. Neat. Uh, so, oh, that uh, so I think you have that to look forward to at some point, uh, cause I think you'll really like that. Um, the other thing is, is. You know, for as nonsensical as the lyrics can be as a whole, there are times when there's just a phrase that pops out that really kind of encapsulates a thought or an emotion that I that I really love. Um, you know, the end of medicine has a few of them. There's a there's a line at one point, and I'm pretty sure it's a Dan Bihar line, where he says, uh, and flew into a lesbian rage, which is... A ridiculous thing to say, but also very evocative and like specific, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah, I heard that line, and it. And it uh, I was. I was thinking about that. Um, yeah. And, and, and how so, it must have been like a. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I. I just think that you know sometimes songs are the way I write songs, where it's like about a thing, and all the lyrics are supporting that thing, and they go to that thing, and. I'm wondering if a lot of this songwriting is more about ev- evocation of emotion and uh, or or clever ideas. And a song might be, rather than being about one thing, might be about six things or eight things or ten things. And that's why sometimes they can come off as a little uh, disjointed. That's interesting. I, I'd... I'd uh... I'll give you that. Um, I, and again, it might be something that I would appreciate more on more repeated listenings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you hear it more and more, it might be one of those things where you kind of discover, you know, when you listen to a song for the 20th time and you find and you discover mm-hmm. this new lyric that you've never really understood before, but it finally catches you. Yeah. I can see that there might be stuff like that in here, for sure. Uh, the other thing is, is, I know that you listen to these on your earbuds, and I know that it's tough for you to find uh, like a stereo or a Bluetooth speaker or something to listen to these on, but the, I do think that this, uh, you know, the mixing 
thing that you're feeling uh, that this might be similar to X Ambassadors, where it just might be a little bit easier to take where it's a uh, where it's in a room rather than right sure. near ear canals. Um, yeah, so and I may have uh, sometimes uh, when I get that, I will listen to it on my computer, mm-hmm. um, my iMac, which has pretty good uh, pretty good speaker system, and um, but this time I just didn't have time. Mm-hmm. You know, I could only listen to it on my headphones. Yeah, yeah. And then one final point that I want to make. So I don't know if you remember the song Testament to Youth in Verse, but it's the one where there are interwoven voices that go, no, 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 no. So I used to play this album so much in the car while I was driving around the state of Arizona and my daughter was in the back seat. that even though she was like... She wasn't even two years old. She was like 20 or 22 months old. Uh, She used to sing along with that part of the song. Uh, She would sing no, no, no. And she would ask for the no, no song, which meant I I had to figure out which song that was. Because, of course, for some reason, the new pornographers did not call it the no, no song. Right, right. Real, right. real but missed it is opportunity. Te- a testament to youth in verse that's a test- a, appropriately named given to yeah. that situation you're describing. And the line before that is uh, they're telling the children to rock for their choices, uh, yeah. which yeah. is an interesting line. Yeah, yeah it's good very stuff. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I so would, I like I'll, I'll recommend this uh, album to listeners that haven't heard it. I think that it's uh, if it's your first time, give it uh, give it a couple times through and see what you think. Well, and and the um, new pornographers have like seven or eight albums. They're still a going concern. They just played Milwaukee in May uh, with Nico Case, which I missed and I'm very disappointed about because I have never seen the new pornographers perform with Nico Case. They had a different vocalist at the time that I got to see them live. Uh, so... I believe it's actually A.C. Newman's niece, I want to say. Is there other female vocalist uh, who who covers when Nico is not available? So, Travis, what would you like to rate this album? Uh, I'm going to give it a seven. A seven. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty good. I had some I had some concerns, but uh, they're not they're they're not huge concerns. And uh, and I still enjoyed the. I still enjoyed the album for what I got from it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, as you know, this is one of my top rated albums of all mm-hmm. time. So yes. I think you'll be unsurprised to learn that this is a 10 from me. Good. Uh, I'm glad. Yeah. It's, it's it really, It definitely really feels fantastic. like something that's up your alley. Yeah. It feels like something that you would love. Yeah. It's it's up my alley. I'm a, I'm a hipster. This is a super group, and I think it's absolutely super. So it's a 10 from me. That's awesome. All right. Excellent. Seven and ten. Uh, seven, ten split. So, uh, well, here we go. Yeah. All right. Going into next week, that is episode 30 Episode up. 30. You know that, what that means. That sounds very, very special, Travis. It is very special. And so we will have a very special episode where we take a little bit of a departure from our format and assign each other movies that uh, and albums that we have not seen and heard yet. Oh, so neither wow. of us will have seen or heard the movie and the album that we're going to talk about next week. Do you know what you're going to assign me? I do know what I'm going to assign you. Yes. Do you know what you're going to assign me? me? Oh, lay it on you? I think I do. I think I do. Yep. All right. I am going to assign you, and I really, uh, listener, please forgive me. I have never heard the classic Radiohead album, OK Computer. Now, that's... (gasps) How dare you? Get out. This, uh, you you laugh, but this is really a gigantic hole in my... This is actually not... one of my favorite albums, Matt. Are you kidding? You're kidding. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, okay. Jeez. <laughs> uh, that was, you really sold that. You did. You, have you ever thought about acting? I, I'm going to try it. You're I'm going to try some acting. You're just pretty good at it. Um, yeah, so uh, OK Computer is a classic, classic alternative rock album from the late 90s. Uh, it was the follow-up to Radiohead's uh, The Bends, and it 
was a huge, huge hit. It's multi-platinum. All the hipsters who listen to this podcast are absolutely aghast. Now, I'm not saying I have never heard tracks from the album. There was a very popular track called Paranoid Android. Uh, There were a couple other ones that that were pretty popular. And I have heard a couple of tracks off this album, but I have never heard it all the way through from front to back. And this is a big gap in my knowledge. And so I am going to uh, I'm going to expose myself to it along with exposing you to it this week. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to doing that. I have never seen uh, there are two movies on my uh, very special episode list of possible movies that I've um, that I really want to see but never have, and uh, I'm I'm looking at it and I think I'm going to go in alphabetical order and uh, assign us both the movie Creed, which is oh. uh, a sequel to Rocky, starring uh, star and and what's funny is I only des- decided to do this. I had a different movie that I was going to give you, and so I actually didn't research Creed, but it's Michael B. Jordan, I believe, mm-hmm. as um, the son of uh, Apollo Creed, who dies in Rocky Three. Okay. He's killed by Mr. T, and, uh, and so this is his son uh, coming back and kind of, uh, not avenging, but like... Uh, serving his father's destiny as as the you know boxing champion, so mm-hmm. I, I really don't know anything about it. I think that Rocky Balboa is in it, but um, I don't. I mean, it's produced by Sylvester Stallone, mm-hmm. pretty sure. Uh, but I know that it has now spawned two two sequels. So yeah. Creed three just came out like last year, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I I think that it's high time. I watched this movie. I've never been a huge fan of Rocky, but um, I am a fan of Michael B. Jordan, and I think that this has been. Um, uh, everybody says this movie is fantastic, so we'll, well see. I actually am a huge fan of Rocky, or at least I was when I was a kid. Uh, oh. So Rocky's one through four, uh, I was a huge fan of. I still regularly use the phrase, if he dies, he dies. Uh, <laughs> which I, I see, I have that doesn't mean anything to me, so it's crazy. It's what the Russians say. In this case, you're going. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's what the um, Russians say. In this case, you're does, going into this does. as more of an expert, uh, more of an yeah. expert than I am. I've so. actually seen Rocky Five, uh, which not a whole lot of people did. Uh, it killed off the franchise for 15 years or so. Yeah. Um, and I and then I, there was like a Rocky Balboa or something. Yeah, right? I did not see Rocky Balboa, which apparently no, was sort of a, a soft reset of the whole thing. And then this yeah. uh, is is rebooting with the younger stars. So uh, I'm actually super excited to get to see this. All right. Well, me too. Cool. Well, that's it for today. I think we'll come back next week for our very special episode. If you have any. Uh, interesting ideas about even if they're not interesting if you have any ideas at all about uh, our takes on these uh, on the stuff we've talked about today if you really loved Legend uh, and you thought we were unfair with our middling reviews or if you uh, if you think different things about the uh, young pornographers let us know email us at (laughs) exposing ourselves podcast at gmail.com it's the new pornographers Oh, the, the, I the knew I got it wrong. As soon as I said it, I looked, I saw, I was looking, <laughs> I side-eyed you. And I was like, I don't know. I didn't see, I didn't say that right, did I? The new pornographers. Yeah. Uh, what am I thinking of? The young, is there a young president's? Is that uh, a young band? Is that a band? Uh, probably, but yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> the young dead presidents is a band. I know that. Young, young Frankensteins? That should be a band. Anyway, so, uh. But do us a favor and check us out on Facebook, uh, search for Exposing Ourselves, and do us a really big favor and leave us a review on whatever app or uh, place you get your podcast from. It, it definitely helps us. So, And we'll see you next week. Hey, Matt. Hey, hey, Travis. Thank you for exposing yourself to me. Uh, you're welcome, Travis. Thank you for exposing yourself to me. Oh, my pleasure. I'll see you next week. Yep, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.